drop. Hey, Idaho Dems, welcome back to another episode of ID Pod, where we talk about Idaho politics and how it affects you, the voter. I'm Lindsay. I'm Jesse. And today we are joined by representatives Ilana Rubel and Melissa Wintrow. It was a fun conversation to talk about something that we sometimes wish was a lot farther mm-hmm. uh, upcoming than it is. Yeah. Uh, talking about the legislative session and talking about some gains that can be made in the Democratic caucus coming up in 2020. Um, there's some real potential, but also some potential for um, losses, which is why it's super important for folks to be engaged, to be involved, um, you know, open their checkbooks a little bit or wallets, whatever, maybe just debit card, because that's what most people do in 2019 yeah. and 2020. But <laughs> yeah. um, So we're going to be talking about uh, things to look out for next year during the session right. um, and just what we can expect. Uh, those of you who follow or would like to follow the news regarding the legislative session make sure to follow idaho dems on twitter uh and facebook and facebook we will be um posting and talking about uh the legislative happenings right. during the whole session um and telling you how you can get involved in fighting um harmful legislation right. uh, and getting involved to make sure that we are doing good things right there's going to be lots of that legislation this year unfortunately we saw a lot in 2019 um this year being the 2020 session so it's really important to make sure you're engaged involved and paying attention because um without us there could be real real threats to our democracy yeah if you haven't gotten involved yet 2020 is definitely a good year to get involved run for office volunteer yeah lots lots of opportunities so with that and we'll take it away Well, welcome back to another episode of ID Pod. We're sitting down with Melissa Wintrow and Alana Rubel. I guess Representative Wintrow and Representative Rubel here from here in Boise. I prefer goddess. <laughs> <laughs> she said it. Um, I second that. There you go. There you go. Any <laughs> discussion. So we're excited to have you guys on the podcast today, but if you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves to anybody who's listening. Alana Rubel. I uh, represent District 18, Southeast Boise, and as of last week, I am the House Minority Leader. Woo. I'm Melissa Wintrow, I'm the representative from District 19. Um, what else do you want to know about me? And District 19 is, for yeah. those who don't know. Oh, District 19 is Boise, where the capital sits up into the foothills gotcha. and then out to Hidden Springs. So it's a it's a it's kind of a larger geographic district, mm-hmm. even Avamore. Oh, wow. When did the both of you take office initially in the legislature? Um, I got appointed, actually, oh. halfway through a cycle. Um, so I started at the very beginning of 2014. Okay. Yeah, I ran a Democratic primary um, in 2014, and my first session was 2015, and it was the model of all elections because we were civil and respectful and really worked hard. And the only reason I won that election is because I made it to more doors, Mm. I'm sure, because we were just both working so hard. I remember that. Yeah, Troy Roan ran, and he's just wonderful, and Mm. I'm still in touch with him today. Yeah, I wasn't around, so I don't remember Yeah. yeah, 2014 was a good year. Yeah, and I got being appointed was really fantastic because then you get to <laughs> yeah. instantly run as an incumbent. Right. Yeah, which is a nice. Uh, well, I guess our new District 19 person will get to have that experience. Yeah, I was yeah. just about to say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I guess we can start with our icebreaker question that we ask all of our guests, which is, "What's your favorite potato dish?" Mm, poutine, hands down. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> 
definitely. You don't know what poutine is, Melissa? Oh my goodness. Well, so you know I'm from, I'm from Canada, so I it's kind of the Canadian that. national dish. It's uh, fries with cheese curds and gravy. It's oh, incredible. That sounds lush. It's, they have it at, uh, Bitter Creek has a poutine. Have it's you kind of it? taking off here. I mean, it took them long enough, you know. It's taken them like 30 years to discover poutine down here, but you can start seeing it's it good. now in more it's places. Good. Some people mess it up and put freaky stuff and like blue cheese and goat cheese. That, that, that should, that's just wrong. But um, it should be just, you know, normal cheese curds and gravy. Listen, that all sounds lush. I just had my cholesterol checked today. <laughs> We're going to see what the results are. But I love cheese. Yeah. Um, well, great. I learned something new today on the podcast. My... I'm just mashed potatoes. I love buttery mashed potatoes with gravy. Love. That's always a good one. Yeah. There's so. so many different ways to eat potatoes. Yeah. So I don't know if that tells you about me, but I love it buttery. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't? It's hard to go wrong. Butter. It's hard to go wrong with butter or cheese. Haley doesn't. In any instance. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I love butter. <laughs> Our vegan friend. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So... I guess today we kind of just want to talk about the upcoming session. It's getting really close. Uh, it feels like we just had, we just ended the last one, right? It feels like it was yesterday for me. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you're both heading into the session. Atlanta, you're yeah. stepping into a new role as House Minority Leader. Yes. Uh, so tell us, um, I guess, what can we expect from the caucus in the upcoming session and what the political landscape might be this coming year. Well, um, it's a little bit of a challenging challenging session because notwithstanding, you know, the fact that we're in economic boom times right now, the state is starving and has no money to pay for anything. And all of our agencies have been asked to basically cut their budgets by 3%, which is going to really make it hard for them to conduct basic operations. Um, this is due to the uh, Republican tax cut of 2018, um, which left the state broke, basically, as a you know top margin. Uh, tax cut where it, all the benefit pretty much went to the wealthy and now we're having a really hard time funding basic things. So that will cast right. a shadow over a lot of what we might want to do in there because a lot of government costs money. Hard to fix roads, hard to pay teachers, hard to really do any of the basic things the government needs to do without money. Um, I see a mixed bag in there of some proactive things we're going to be pushing. We, we have a lot of great legislation that we're going to try to get over the line. I'll let Melissa talk in a bit about her fan, yeah. all of her fantastic work she has in mind. I'm working on some criminal justice reform, um, some fair housing stuff. We're working on um, legislation to address the vaping epidemic. Um, but then we're also going to be on defense and defending against some pretty alarming things like an assault on our current bipartisan redistricting system. I think there's going to be another attack on citizens' ballot initiative rights, um, women's rights, transgender rights. Um, I think there's just going to be a full-on attack on all fronts that we're going to have to be defending against. Um, so there will be some good things to push and some bad things to stop. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So. Melissa, tell us a little bit about the legislation that you worked on last session and what you plan on working on this session. Yeah, you know, I would underscore what Alana said about being a tough session, in particular financially, um, sitting on the Joint Finance and Appropriations Committee. Um, I'm already starting to delve into budgets and the actual governor's request. And without getting too wonky, you know, I think it's important that folks understand that we typically revert 10 to $15 million a year in the general fund from all state agencies. Mm -hmm. And that just happens, right? We ask for things or, you know, we calculated wrong or a program didn't go 
So typically, um, that happens. And I've actually asked for the trends for that for the last five to seven years. Well, what the governor's doing with this 1% early reversion is basically trying to take political claim for what really just happens. 1% of the budget reverted is about $18 million. So the problem with that political game and warfare is that he's taken a hacksaw to all the state agency budgets. And he's actually um, circumventing legislative oversight. So the legislature's job is to approve the budget and tell the agencies how to spend. But what's going to happen here is actually I think the governor will be able to line item veto things, which is unfortunate. So we have to be really mindful of that. And I'll be in the wonky business yeah. like I was with Medicaid last time. Um, I'm really excited to bring yet another bill to help survivors of sexual assault. Um, for the last four years, we passed five significant pieces of legislation that have reformed the way that we work with sexual assault kit evidence in our state. And I'm so excited that my home state of Ohio recently adopted the tracking system that we developed because of legislation here. So Excellent. that's being mimicked and copied all over the country. So I'm really that's excited awesome. that the group of stakeholders that I've been working with for like four years years has I mean we've just worked so hard together and it's been a huge team effort and um, we actually got a grant last year to do training for sexual assault nurse examiners throughout the state so we're training people in rural Idaho to do the exam correctly and in a trauma-informed way oh that's great yeah it's really great. we're really kind of backing into the system this year I hope to introduce a sexual assault civil protection order so right now people who are being stalked or phone harassed or in a domestic violence situation can get an order of protection but a sexual assault survivor can't it's all the way the law is written wow. Mm -hmm. And so I've been working with stakeholders for the last several months to put together the right language. I've done a presentation in the Criminal Justice Commission, so hopefully we'll bring that forward and really help survivors get some additional protection because there's such a low uh, prosecution and conviction rate, and this would offer at least some level of protection. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind yeah. of the deep dive on that legislation, and I'm working with um, a number of stakeholders on some um, fair housing issues, um, mm -hmm. among many other things. So yeah. I kind of oh, forget great. them all. I mean, yeah. great work on that. I mean, that was a really yeah. super productive and something that needed to be happen. It's one of those things that you just don't, you think is a no brainer, but it's really not happening. There is in nothing in this legislature that is really <laughs> uh, what we think it should be sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, just like we tried to establish a marriage age and some minimal yeah. protections, and that didn't go. And I can tell you, I really tried to compromise without compromising safety, and I'm no right. longer compromising. We're going to stick to 18 years old as the bright line of the age of marriage. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, and like you said, it's all about how the, how the words are written in the yeah. law. We're obviously, as Democrats, in the minority here. Yep. So working with the <laughs> colleagues on the other side of the aisle, what's some tricks to maintaining those relationships, building those relationships that have worked and that benefit us in getting pieces of legislation through? Because we're not in a, you guys are not ineffective you you, oh, get, we get, you great, we get a lot done get a lot yeah. done you get a lot done yeah we've got we get as many bills passed as anybody on either right. side of the aisle i think yeah. um we have to work a lot harder i think um mm -hmm. you know it's we have to know our stuff inside out i think we have to do probably 10 times more research and gather 10 times more data than a republican would bringing a bill probably but uh we do that work sure. and it and it pays off i mean we 
have to make ourselves the ultimate experts um, so that they just can't ever stump us. There can never be a question that we don't know the answer to. Um, I, you know, I always find Republican co-sponsors for my bills. so, you know, one area that I found is really promising in that area is criminal justice reform, mm-hmm. because that's really an area where the right meets the left. Um, and I actually have a bill this session that I'm optimistic will uh, take off that I have, I think, a good number of Republican co-sponsors on. Um, but it's a clean slate bill. Um, currently, 41 states and the District of Columbia all have some mechanism for cleaning up your criminal record um, mm-hmm. for, you know, non-violent, non-sexual, right. non-child abusing offenses. Um, we have absolutely nothing. I mean, every single thing you do, you shoplift, it will be on your record till the day you die. This would create a mechanism, basically, um, to petition to clear your record for those kinds of offenses. If you've completed your sentence and gone a certain number of years without reoffending, and you can show that you're not really a risk to society anymore, you can get that record sealed, which is really a huge deal because there are so many, you know, they call them collateral consequences, the things that happen to you from having a criminal record that are unrelated to the actual prison time and probation, things like you can't get housing, you can't get a job, you can't get, you know, licensed to be a massage therapist, you can't, you know, there's a right. million, you can't get a commercial driver's license to be a truck driver. I mean, there are so many things. Um, and so the goal would be to really allow these people to reenter society and make a living and find housing and, you know, avoid some of the, the poverty that just comes from people, you know, not being able to get their lives back on track. So I'm very excited about that, and I have a lot of Republicans that are ready to work with me on that. So um, we'll see if that will be another avenue for sure. some good bipartisan yeah. legislation. That's great news. Do you Are there any other bills? So you guys both kind of t- touched on what you're planning to bring forward in the session um, and work towards <laughs> passing. What are some of the bills that you are coming from the other members of the caucus that you guys are expecting? Well, uh, the one that I'm most concerned about, you know, the real existential threat we're facing is um, the bill that has been threatened by Republicans in their town halls, um, which is a change to our current bipartisan redistricting commission. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if all the listeners know how currently there's a lot about Idaho politics that may not be that great, but we have a fantastic redistricting commission. All of the terrible partisan gerrymandering that you heard about in North Carolina and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, not in Idaho. We have Mm -hmm. a six-member commission, three Republicans, three Democrats. For any map to get approved, you have to get at least four votes. Um, So there has to be bipartisan agreement. And we have had a great record of fair maps that have gotten pretty much, you know, universal support. The Republicans want to change that. They want to change that into a seven-person commission with four Republicans, three Democrats, so that they can just ram unfair maps down our throat and have it be just a pure partisan gerrymandering process, um, which is really concerning. That could do a lot of damage to us um, all across Idaho. Mm And we're already underrepresented. I mean, when you look at statewide, yes, the state leans Republican right now. But when you look at statewide elections, it's about 60-40. Currently, the Democrats have 20% of the legislative seats, which is already underrepresented. But some of that happens naturally because Democrats often cluster in urban areas. I've heard people people project that if they get their hands on this process, they could knock us down to 8% of the seats. So if we end up in a situation where 40% of the people in Idaho have 8% of the mm-hmm. representation in our legislative body, um, that is a real travesty against democracy. So yeah. we need people just coming out in force just raising all kinds of hell in that building when that comes out, comes out. We need people just flooding every room, right. flooding the phone lines, flooding the emails. So that is one of the more sinister things we're expecting. Yeah. But Melissa, what else is on? Well, if I can your, jump in really yeah. quick. Um, this was a very interesting thing that happened. I was home for Thanksgiving, and there was a legislative send-off for the members in District 6. And I got up and asked this question. I said, you know, you 
got into office because you believe in democracy. You want people to elect you. You don't. You shouldn't choose your t- voters. The voters should choose you. And all three of them, Senator Johnson, Representative Stevenson, Representative Kingsley, all said they would vote against such a bill. So I and they even said, I don't even think that'll come up is what they said verbatim. And I said, that's a very interesting. I hadn't I hadn't heard that perspective from Republicans yet. So I, you are definitely way more in the know. Both of you are way more in the know than I am. But that was such an interesting thing that happened. And I was not expecting that. And um you know, one of them even came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I think fair is fair, and I will definitely vote against that if it does come up. Well, I really hope they stick by that. I do, too. Because the speaker has definitely made his intentions clear on this. Right, yeah. So, anyways, sorry to cut you off. Oh, mostly, no. But. I, give me another question. <laughs> we anticipate, um, just like what's happening throughout the country, more restrictions on women's reproductive freedom and their rights. Um, we'll have to fight hard against those. We see in the news right now the governor has been fighting very hard against giving medical support to somebody who's transgender who has actually tried to commit suicide and um, I've actually done a lot to ask about you know what would it cost just to go through the surgery versus fighting it and all the court battles but as we well know we have a constitutional defense fund that's full of taxpayer money to defend against unconstitutional things that the GOP brings forward and I don't think they've won one case yet I think no they haven't won a case since 1996 wow yeah so, again, yeah, not a great track record on that. <laughs> no. um, I would imagine there's still going to be a fight with Medicaid because as we expanded and we did the waivers, our pe- there are people signing up, and we are moving forward, but um, there are many people still fighting against that. Mm-hmm. And with the governor's um, recent um, announcement of reverting a million dollars, um, I've met with Medicaid, and they're trying to figure out how to come up with that 1%, and they're doing so um, with a cost-based issue with hospitals and nursing homes, which is kind of complicated to get into here, but um, could be potentially very harmful. And, I mean, I think Medicaid supervision is doing their best to manage what the governor has put forward. Those are definitely, you know, issues that the Republicans like to fundraise off of and stuff like that, but... Some other things that I hate, don't mean to filibuster, Lindsay, but uh, one of the other things that came up w- w- at uh, this legislative send-off up in District 6 was the, um, super in the weeds, but the homeowner's exemption. Yes, that's, um, yes. And they all had kind of said, I don't think that that'll come up this session because they hate doing things that could affect their reelection potential. Um, well, but reindexing it, you know, property taxes are on the rise in a lot of parts of the state. People, it's definitely something that hits home. Like, oh, very, <laughs> very literally, so. it hits home. Well, I mean, we sure plan to bring it. We yeah. got the bill drafted, it's and um, you know, we we had a Republican co-sponsor on it last year, so uh, we will do everything in our power to bring that up. Now, you know, a, a chairman may decide to block us and not allow a hearing or a vote on it, but right. um, we certainly plan to be very loud on that issue. Um, that right. was really damaging. I mean, what when when the the legislature legislature eliminated, I think I want to say it was in 2016. I mean, that was really when people started to see their property taxes spike mm-hmm. um, because it was essentially a very large shift of the tax burden away from the business community, who, as we know, cuts big checks <laughs> to a mm-hmm. lot of GOP legislators. Mm-hmm. It was a big shift of tax burden away from businesses onto individual homeowners. Right. Um, and uh, it's it's really causing a great deal of hardship, especially for people on fixed incomes and especially for people in urban areas. I mean, the way it works is it's capped now at $100,000. So if your house is right. worth $200,000 or less, mm-hmm. then it won't affect you. But 
good luck finding a house worth two hundred thousand dollars right, exactly. or less in the treasure valley and in many other parts of the state that are growing um so it, it, i have had so many seniors in my district who you know were retired they had their house paid off they're living on a fixed income and they thought great i'll be able to live the rest of my days out in this house that i have paid off. Mm -hmm. um, but now this has just completely blown up all their plans and made it impossible for them to stay in the home they've lived in for decades. Um, really, oh, go ahead. Well, I would add too, I've talked to Senator Burgoyne and I think he is gonna, he and uh, Representative Erpelding were yep. working on a bill to at least double the circuit breaker for folks yep. and fixed income and an elderly to help with that. So I think that that would be a great thing. Mm -hmm. I think the issue with the homeowner's exemption is it makes me think about there's more than one lever that we have to pull if we're going to impact in a positive way taxes for everyone. And I can remember that 2016 session, it was Mike Moyle and Janet Trujillo that brought that forward, yeah. basically to poke Boise and Sun Valley in the eye. And I remember mm -hmm. fighting very hard against that because I knew the harm it would do in an area that we're booming. But now you see it's starting to impact Eagle and Meridian, and some of those constituents are knocking on the door saying, hey, what about right. us? And I, and I think mm -hmm. um, some of them are responding. But I, I hope that we do get that hearing that we tried to get last year. I think it was Marianne yep. Jordan. Marianne Jordan mm -hmm. and, and Vanderwater. Yeah, I suspect at the time they thought it was a great way to kind of please the business community while really sticking it to Boise homeowners. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm projecting right. here, but I sure. think there might have been some stance of like, well, those Boise people are all Democrats anyway. Let's jack up their taxes. <laughs> um, but it's true. It boomeranged a little bit, and it certainly raised some property taxes in some areas that are a little bit redder, too. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's... They're, your home, more than $200,000 in any part of the state. It's really going to take effect. I mean, oh, sure. Coeur d'Alene. Lewiston, Coeur d'Alene, Moscow, Pocatello, Idaho Falls. It doesn't matter. It's anybody. And well, yet that's unfortunate. And I, I think it's really awful. I think about when I bought my home and I was really... Um, tentative at that point at the price point in a 1200 square foot home but I did what I was supposed to do I had saved my money I had decent rent I could put a savings behind and then I could actually put a down payment on a house and actually have something to keep going that mm -hmm. was supposed to be a starter home but no way right mm -hmm. I think about folks who are just starting out like me now they can't do it right they mm -hmm. just can't do it and when we think about the rental prices, and I, I do not know how people are making ends meet. We have got to figure something out in the region to in the state, actually, to yeah. make things better for folks. Mm -hmm. So I actually have, it's this, this won't uh, necessarily deal with the property tax problem, but I sure. do have um, some legislation to address at least the rental issue. Oh, yeah. Um, I had a, a constituent in my district contact me a couple months ago, um, single mom working two jobs and renting in my district. And basically her was informed by her landlord her the, her lease was about up her year long lease uh 10 days before the end of the lease was told her rent was going to go from 650 to 950 so almost a 50% increase wow. and if she didn't want to re up for another year at 950 she was welcome to stay on month to month while she looked for another place but the month to month rate would be $2000 a month um, oh and gosh. she couldn't re-up wow. for a year at that amount, um, and she couldn't find another place in 10 days, so she had to take out an emergency loan to do the $2,000 month-to-month while she scrambled and desperately looked for a new place. Um, so, you know, I feel like at the very least, people need to have enough warning so they can look around and find a place. So I, I do have legislation that says if your landlord is going to raise your rent more than 10%, they have to give you at least 60 days notice um, so that you have some opportunity to shop around and, you know, mm -hmm 
You can't yeah. you can't even hire a mover in 10 days, much less find a place, sign a lease, all that. Um, wow. So we'll see. I do have a Republican co-sponsor on that. That's so right. uh, we'll see. That, <laughs> that, go, that goes back to the common sense legislation that you bring forward. Right. But you're going to have to do 10 times the work and 10 times the conversations and everything. But yeah. Hopefully, fingers crossed on that one. As yeah. somebody who's looking for an apartment currently, yeah, um, <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I mean that situation sounds yeah. very right. plausible. Like that, oh, yeah. could happen to mm-hmm. me. I, I can see that happening. Well, to we me. hear a lot about the free market and how we need to let the free market forces work, but it's not a market when someone is over a barrel like that. I mean, it's, you can't shop around. You can't find out what the competitive offerings are when you have that little notice. Um, so I, I'm kind of pitching it as a pro market thing. It's like let's let's let people shop around. Let's let right. people see what the competitive offerings right. are mm-hmm. and let the market work. Give it yeah. time to actually shop. Right. I would add on to that, I better communicate with my minority leader. Um, I've been working <laughs> with a group of stakeholders to actually create a number of um, renters' rights, um, I guess, initiatives, to mm-hmm. say the least. And so we've actually created kind of an omnibus bill that will actually break down in segments, depending on politically if we could even get a hearing. But. You know, some of those include capping late fees, um, ensuring that renters have their, um, actually understand their rights and tenant, sure. you know, those kind of things. So, right. yeah, lo- uh, many things there, but maybe a few that will stick. Good. Yeah. Are there any other bills that folks should be looking out coming from our fellow Democrats in the House? Yeah. yeah. Any, any kind oh, of, we've got so know. much exciting stuff going on. Yeah. Um, another one that actually I just came directly from a meeting on this to, to meet with you right. um, on vaping. Um, vaping, as you know, is just kind of a plague facing the nation right now. It's unbelievable, right. the prevalence, and especially among our young people. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. Yeah. I, my 16-year-old daughter was out with her 16-year-old friend last year, and they saw an adult pull out a jewel. And my daughter's friend said, oh, my gosh, I've never seen an adult use I uh. thought jewels were just for kids. <laughs> So that's the situation oh where, where it's just, I mean, most oh, wow. kids in high school, and it's absolutely destroying yeah. them. I think they had the first double lung transplant on a 17-year-old last week and, um, from vape damage. Um, so we're looking at a couple bills. Basically, the industry is totally unregulated. So mm-hmm. there's a bill to um, require people selling uh, to be licensed and in compliance and subject to inspections. Um, there's also um, legislation in the works to raise the tobacco age to 21. Now, say. they're talking about doing that at the federal level. I'm not, and right. I guess that might solve the problem if they do it federally. But I think that'll be a big deal for youth because pretty much everybody in high school has a friend who's 18. Mm-hmm. You know, there are going to be hundreds of kids at the high school who are 18. Right. Um, but when you set that age at 21, I think it creates a pretty powerful disconnect where they know a lot of people who are 18, but they may not know some, they probably don't know anyone who's 21 mm-hmm. um, who can supply them. So I think that would make a big difference in terms of, um, you know, the vape supply line going into our high schools. So we'll see how that, how that does. definitely picked up quickly, that trend. Yeah. yeah, definitely took off really fast. It's really disturbing what it's doing to people. That health effects are unbelievable. It's everywhere, everywhere, and so dangerous. Mm. There's and, some, and the, the it's the flavoring. I think there's some seriously toxic chemicals in yeah. that flavoring. It's kind of an incredible how quick we've seen some of the effects from it. Oh yeah, you know you, there hasn't need there hasn't been a need to have you know decade long study. Oh it's, yeah. It's here and it's now. And, well, it just somehow know, slipped in it. completely unregulated, and yeah. it's on like one of those little pods. It's mm. the equivalent of forty-five cigarettes, and oh, yeah. kids are going through. I mean, I think they probably day. assume that it's a better alternative to cigarettes. I, I would yeah. assume some people well, probably market that, yes, that way. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, 
in fact, it's the opposite. Right. So. right. It was marketed as a way to get off cigarettes, but mm -hmm. what it's really doing is getting people hooked who would never have otherwise touched a cigarette in their life. Yeah. So I have um, a question that okay. I have talked to former legislators about. Um, Mike Mitchell, who used to be a state senator up in Lewiston, always used to tell me all kinds of fun stories that he would have uh, in the legislature, like sitting behind polls so that people couldn't see him, just as like a joke and stuff like that. Do you guys have any, you know, just fun, lighthearted stories from the being in the legislature that, you know, you can point to? Because sometimes it seems kind of <laughs> overly <story>. serious, you know, <laughs> in there, but I'm sure you guys have fun still, you know, <laughs> hopefully, maybe sometimes. not. <laughs> we, I, I, pretty funny crowd. I mean, when you get the Democrats together in a room, we, you know. Well, all I'll say is something that turned very funny that was very serious, but last year when we were trying to pass, um, I actually got a gun bill out of committee in five minutes. I don't think anybody realizes that, but I got a firearms <laughs> restriction out of committee in five minutes onto the House floor that kept firearms out of the hands oh, right. of folks convicted of lewd and lascivious conduct, which is really basically adults going after ch children, right? Correct. Okay, yeah. So um, that came off the rails in the House, and it actually nestled right up against the bill for the 18-year-old concealed carry without uh -huh. a permit, right? Mm -hmm. And um, my colleagues across the aisle just didn't realize the significance of that. And it kept holding on the calendar. Why? Because it was in the same news cycle. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to pass a bill to let kids have guns and you're going to not restrict firearms with a pedophile, it's not going to look so good. Right. So, you, you know, day after day after day, we're behind the chambers asking, you know, what, how are we going to solve this? And one day with the speaker and the chair and all the GOP that were fighting against me, I decided, Mr. Speaker, I think a cage match is warranted. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know what, it's me and Zollinger, but if you want to throw in Zito, I'll take her too. <laughs> And it kind of broke the ice. People laughed. And then we actually started compromising. And actually, the compromise was good. We we decided, and Julianne Young spoke on behalf of it, that we would keep firearms out of the hands of people who crossed a physical boundary mm -hmm. and not enticement. So actually, they get off the House floor. But the cage match was memorable. That's good. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I remember once from my very first week in the legislature when I had just been appointed and was still trying to find my way around. And I was in resources committee with Matt, and he was kind of my mentor, and I was following him along, and I still couldn't figure out how you'd figure out what bills were being heard and introduced. And so we're walking to resources together, and I'm like, okay, so what's going on in resources today? What do I need to know? And he says, oh, I think there's just some bill to, you know, give lower the age for carrying guns to 10-year-olds. And I just started laughing. I'm like, oh, Matt, you're such a kidder. I just thought he had just invented off the top of his mind, like just mm -hmm. the most comical thing he could possibly come up with. And sure, God's honest truth, that was the bill. <laughs> in there, And it actually literally was a bill to lower the age to 10 years old for... Are you serious? To have, to, have, um, to have weapons. Yeah, That's it was for cool. hunting oh so they can go hunting. Well, and it was hunting. like, wow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, at that point, I, and it was actually quite a funny hearing and because they actually brought these kids out to try to make the point of like, see, it's perfectly reasonable to give 10-year-olds guns. And somebody had brought their grandkid who was just, I mean, I have a 10-year-old who's maybe on the bigger side. This 10-year-old was really on the smaller side of 10-year-old. I mean, he looked like he was maybe seven. And so they have this tiny little kid, like, standing on a chair so that he can reach the microphone and just in his little pip-squeaky voice talking about, oh, we can't wait to get a gun so we can go hunting with his granddad. And I was like, this is not having the desired effect of, you know, putting one's yeah. mind at rest that 10 is a perfectly reasonable age to be carrying yeah. firearms. No. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, I think even some of the Republicans on the committee were like, wow, 
oh, 10 seems young. Yeah, yeah but that doesn't help. It, but then, <laughs> well, but then the, well, then the NRA lobbyists got up and said, this uh, bill is a very high priority for us and fixed them all with their stare yeah. and it passed. Listen, I have an even funnier one. I got my truck stuck in the garage on the first day of work. There you go. Yeah. Stuck. <laughs> so like, I got some street cred right away. Wintrow's truck is so big it got stuck in the garage. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> How did it get in? <laughs> you think if it could get in, it could get out. No. It, 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 it has a tire on the top rack. Oh. And it had a lift kit, my lovely husband. And oh, it just nice. it made it up the ramp and got stuck right at the top. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Oh, I so see. It was yeah. stuck. Upon entry. Got yeah, it. it was really embarrassing okay. the first day of work in my mm-hmm. nice suit. I'm already scared. And then I have to back down the ramp and all the traffic. Oh. That doesn't help your <laughs> Not anxiety. Good. No. <laughs> first day jitters. But it did increase my cred. Two yeah. weeks later, a speaker of the house says, was that you that got your truck stuck? Oh, I'm boy. like, yeah, you should see my gun rack. <laughs> <laughs> so I think well, we should change gears a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, um, let's. Yeah. Talk about, um, talk about the election and yeah, let's IDLCC and stuff like that. Running mm-hmm. in 2020, what's that going to be like in a presidential year, this presidential year of all presidential years? I'm going to let Alana talk about the big picture of <laughs> right. that, and then I'll talk, I'll talk to you a little bit about some of the uh, statewide races. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because nationwide, generally, presidential years are really good for Democrats, um, but we kind of live in the upside down here electorally, mm-hmm. and it's... Um, in Idaho, that is really our most dangerous time. That is when we lose half our caucuses in presidential years. So, um, and then it's anybody's guess as to how this whole impeachment thing is playing and how much of a force that will still be right. um, by the by this time next year. Uh, so I don't know, but we're gonna have to work very hard just to hold our caucus. We made some great gains in 2018, got some amazing new caucus members. We really don't want to lose them, right. um, and we'd like to add to them. Correct. Um, and I think we've got some really strong candidates that have, that are already indicating they may be interested in running in 20. We need to get more. We need to be recruiting hard. Um, But I think it's going to be up to the people of Idaho to come out and help us. Um, You know, if we get, you know, my my cousin lives in Northern Virginia, and they basically completely flipped the place from a majority, Republican supermajority, to taking over both chambers in pretty much two years. Mm -hmm. Um, But they did it with people who were willing to hit the streets and go knock doors and help those candidates. Um, So, you know, if our Democrats out there and people who want to see a more balanced legislature are willing to come out and volunteer and door knock and help us fundraise, the sky's the limit on what we can do next year. Um, So we need to get that kind of energy going because there are both incredible opportunities and incredible risks for us next year. Right. I guess what I would say as a chair of the Idaho Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, that's basically a big acronym to say all the Democratic legislators have gotten together to raise funds and resources to to support electing more Democrats Mm because we're lonely. Right. So uh, Wendy Jay quit some years ago, recognized that um, the party has a large job for all races. But if we're really going to break the supermajority in the state, and we're going to help our state, we have to do it through the legislature. Because we know even at local levels, the state either makes it harder or easier for for cities and counties to do the work they want. That's why transportation is so hard for us, because the state is standing in the way all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So as the chair of that committee, I am determined to raise enough resources to protect the seats that we got five last time, and we only lost one by 11, and we have to get Jim Bratton over the line to make a senator. Absolutely. 
I am rabid to get him <laughs> over the line. We've been chatting with other candidates throughout the state. I won't mention right now because they're not publicly sure. announced, but I feel really confident about some of those candidates. So from the IDLCC level, I am going to ask people, especially here in Boise, who I think I saw half a million dollars raised on a mm. mayoral race for mm-hmm. two Democrats. I am asking anyone in Boise and Ada County to dig deep and help us with that kind of funding. If we had $500,000 in the legislative seats, we would be flipping seats. Mm -hmm. You hear the passion of my voice raise anybody that's out there. I need to see that kind of support in a statewide race because we are not going to change the face of politics in the state until we do that. So um, you're going to see me banging on the door and many other people to get resources to help these candidates. And we need person power at the doors to help them as well. Um, So, I mean, that's my pitch, but I am very serious about it. And if we, especially in Boise and all the Democrats here, I need you to hear me. All the money you put up in that mayor race, I need to see it in the legislative races. I Mm -hmm. need to see it. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen to that. I mean, Snaps. it really is crazy. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you, any any Game of Thrones fans out there, but the way I see it is, you know, the mayoral race was like a an argument between the Starks and the White Walkers are coming. <laughs> and like people need to be putting at least that much energy into fighting off the Night King here. Yeah, <laughs> that's coming. You know, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. We should be able to raise ten times what went into the Boise mayoral race to fight right. the actual bad guys. Yeah. You know, I Amen, was sister. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I was in Austin last week and this gives me a lot, I came back with so much hope because we went to a party put on by the Texas equivalent of the IDLCC and they are nine seats away in their house from flipping the Texas legislature <gasps> blue. Wow. Nine seats. That's Woo! how close they are. So if wild. a place like Texas that's we used to be as red as the red and probably hasn't had a governor we've had a democratic yeah since (laughs) Anne, we've had a democratic governor more recent than that you know they are on the cusp of of flipping it and there's no reason why we can't but it's going to take the resources and the passion and the energy from just everyday idahoans everyday democrats to get out and help us make that change because there's places where we can win district five district six aren't that far far removed from being (laughs) you know absolutely ours so um, right. But yeah, you guys are doing good work over the IDLCC. And, yeah. um, and it's really sad to, see, to hear Democrats acting like it's a lost cause and like it's mm. impossible. It'll never happen. Right. You know, um, and, and that's so. the thing is I think that, that folks look at the big picture like there's 14 out of 70 in the House, for example, and it just feels so cumbersome. Mm-hmm. But it's not. We don't need half. If we've had four or five more, then we have a significant amount of members for a caucus to actually deal and trade. Mm-hmm. So that actually pressures the um, the majority to work with us more. Um, I just was up in Moscow a few weeks ago. I was so impressed with that community. They fought so hard. They elected three Democrats to the city council. I... And they're fighting hard, hard, hard odds. And they came out and they were supportive. I think we raised $6,000 in one house party, which is amazing. That shows me they are very much loving their Senator Nelson. And they want two more folks Mm -hmm. in their representative. And they'll do it. So we're we're really um, that kind of energy. We just went to Pocatello. Amazing, amazing community. So I know you're out there. We're going to come to your town. There's a lot of potential in those areas. Yeah, I'm coming out there. So is Atlanta. (laughs) You bet. And so those people, if they want to pitch in money, what should they do? Where should they go? Well, um, we have a website. You just have to Google Idaho DLCC. That makes it super easy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
We have an Act Blues site. You can email melissawintrow at gmail.com easy and say, how do I get involved? I'll help you. Um, you, you know, hey, is that easy enough? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's perfect. Yeah. For yeah. sure. We'll make sure to include that. I appreciate you know, that. Yeah, so awesome. our show notes, because cause it's again, because all we're doing, we're the only organization that is focusing on legislative races. That's right. it. Right. All of our money goes to legislators. Yep. That's it. Um, yep. So yeah. we and I can tell you, I'm working hard tracking down presidential candidates who want to come here and raise money and say, no, we're going to work together. Yeah. Yeah. I will let no one out of my sights. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can. Well, we're grateful that you're doing that work. I'm lonely. I'm so tired of losing bills by five votes. You know, like, I know. Unbelievable stuff. Well, as a very wise member of our caucus said in Pocatello last week, I mean, really, whatever your issue is, we can't solve it until we pick up seats in the legislature. And he said, you know, the the number one problem facing Idaho is not crumbling infrastructure. It's not underpaying teachers and under investing in our schools it's not lack of lgbt protections it's not you know you could list out 50 things the number one problem facing us is the republican supermajority that mm-hmm. is the reason we can't solve anything else it's the reason we can't have early childhood education it's the reason it took us seven years and we couldn't even get a hearing on medicaid expansion it's i mean every single problem that we face really at its root has the fact that we have an 80% Republican legislature who won't even allow a vote on most of these of these bills. I can't count how many years, I, certainly since I've been in the legislature, for example, we haven't even been allowed to vote on minimum wage mm-hmm. and so many other basic issues. Um, so, and you know, we got to break that supermajority for whether your issue is climate change, education, you know, no matter what it is, we can't get to that issue until we get to the issue of an 80-20 split in the legislature. Yeah, that's very frustrating. I'm sure. Well, and I think it, I I mean, regardless, government just works better when there's balance, just right. like with the redistricting commission. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to come to compromise and we don't just run over each other. It's as I've heard Alana say before, it's not just the tyranny of the majority. Then Do maybe you, Alana. I'm sure Alana said that. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I, I shouldn't have. Yeah. I rail against the tyranny of the majority yeah. all the go. time. It's, yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else you guys wanted to yeah. talk about? And I would just urge people to be more engaged than they have ever been before. I mean, we really are expecting kind of a five-alarm crisis session. Sure. In addition to the things we discussed, you know, the, well, the the the, the uh, redistricting commission is such a huge deal. That's going to be that's going to be a blight upon us for a decade, and will mm-hmm. make it impossible for us to ever close the gap if if that gets run amok. Um, so I think there's going to be another attack on citizen ballot initiatives, um, along the lines of 1159 last year. They said they want to uh, you know bring something real close to that again. There are going to be so many things and the only way we can fight it effectively or and get good things to happen is when people show up um so we need people with comfy shoes on getting ready Mm -hmm. to come and you know show up in committee hearings and write and email and call um amazing things can happen when people really turn out in large numbers um and we don't have the numbers in the legislature right now um, to stop things with a straight-up vote. But right. we can stop things when 500 angry people show up and right. write letters to the editor and make a big public scene. Um, yep. That is our ask of the citizenry for this session. And then as soon as it's over, then we start working on elections. So my ask as the chair of the IDLCC then is we can't get to policy until we get to the mm-hmm. politics. So mm-hmm. I really am going to ask you to support your favorite candidates in your district. I know there are folks out there that support me regularly. I want you to continue to do that. I need you. And then I want you to support the IDLCC. 
see. We want the candidates to be forward-facing and positive and on message and values. Mm -hmm. The IDLCC will help with uh, staffing as well as accountability pieces so people know how folks are voting. Um, so I think the, it's really important the work that we do um, in addition to what the candidates do. So yeah. support your favorite candidate and support this organization to help get other candidates over the line. It seems like three or four pronged, like let's show up at the legislature, let's show up, up at people's doors, let's show up in supporting the IDLCC, and then let's show up at the polls in November. Exactly. And it's four things. Pretty, pretty simple. Um, you right. know, spend a couple hours knocking on some doors. I mean, the days are gone when citizens can just sit home and watch The Bachelor. Right. I mean, we're yeah. in a national crisis I mean, we can do that too. <laughs> no, I mean, people but, need right. to step up right now. We got problems at every yeah. level of Absolutely. government in a big way, and people need to step up and be mm -hmm. really active citizens in a way that maybe they haven't before. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, something that I have this conversation a lot with folks is that the presidential campaign and the presidential primary is very shiny. It's something that we are inundated with online, inundated with on TV, on radio, wherever your you know, newspaper, wherever you are, it's everywhere. But what really matters is that you're able to pick your legislators come 2021, that you have the ability to initiative or petition your government with an initiative. That is the stuff that actually matters. And your $25 that or $27 that you donate to a cam campaign for a president goes a lot less far than it does if you keep it here in Idaho. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, boy, does your vote and your dollar go yeah. far in legislative races. 11 well, you votes know, changed Jim Brattenovers. 11 votes in Jim Brattenovers in, in your district. John Rushi won by 24 votes. And Dan Rudolph, too, um, up there in, in my 2014. Seat, in my seat, first time Janie Ward-Engelking lost by seven votes. Right. I mean, these are just on a knife's edge yeah. kind of votes where every dollar matters so much. These are not, you know hundred million dollar races mm -hmm. these are you know forty thousand dollar races sometimes <laughs> and, at most or less you know yeah right yeah. right and and every door you knock could be the door that swings the election mm -hmm. um, it's it's really critical and it is such a such a powerful place for, for people to be investing their time and resources right right yeah that's a great quote every door you knock could be the vote that swings the election that's so true oh my gosh absolutely it reminds me of steve birch it feels like something he would say <laughs> it really does and it could even make a huge yeah. difference in places like district 10 where we're suddenly getting 40 percent of the vote out there and you get out there and you know put your money where your mouth is and you know start pounding some pavement we could start might not happen this session but or this election but moving forward we're going to start moving that needle and it's important. Well, and I think that speaks to really recruiting talented candidates yeah. as well as folks who have perseverance because, mm -hmm. as Steve will tell you, it took him a few times to make it. Right. But um, every single time, and, and that kind of perseverance is what we need because mm -hmm. we have to identify voters. I mean, the big the big win, right, is who who's going to vote for me and how do I get him to the polls, right? I right. can remember my first election. I was on the phone, and you know, 10 minutes before the polls closed saying, hey, have you voted? And, oh, I forgot. Well, get to the poll, right? right? Yeah. So it's it's that get out to vote effort and identifying the people that are going to vote for you. And that's, that's a big deal. And that takes uh, perseverance on the candidate side. But I can tell you in the IDLCC, we will reward folks that we see doing that kind of hard work and, um, and helping us move the needle. Right. Yeah. For those of you listening, we did interview Representative Steve Birch as well. He was our first guest on the podcast. So yeah. great episode, great interview great. to listen to as well about running in a red district and right. knocking doors, the importance of all of that right. stuff. So 
Oh, yeah. And that was a community. I mean, Steve mm-hmm. is amazing. Steve has put so much energy right. and perseverance. It's totally incredible. But it's also a testament to citizen activism power. I mean, he really wow. had an army of volunteers at his back that really helped carry him over the line in a big way. Definitely. And legislators from other districts and brought their volunteers and so forth. So that's that synergistic impact that Alana was talking about. It's not just on the candidate, but, um, you know, he was able to garner um, a lot of support, and we we crossed over and brought volunteers in because we recognize the importance of getting those That's folks awesome. elected. It worked. Yes, hopefully we'll have that. Yeah, will be a roadmap for many right. many more races. Right. Yes. <laughs> so obviously we kind of touched on it briefly. We don't need to dive too deep into it, but there's going to be a new seatmate for you in District 19, Melissa. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, but uh, Representative Rippling had to you know make the decision he did. based on his family and you know that kind of stuff but what's the process going forward for district 19 do you have any you know updates that's unless unless this episode coming out is going to be too too late but is it expedited is it happening really quick it's happening right now they um so the basically the process by statute as a legislative chair will coordinate the search um and the precinct captains actually then interview all the candidates and then put names forward they interview folks and then they put three names forward to the governor um i do know they had um they collected all the applications they got quite a few i know i got a lot of phone calls um and i think they interviewed six or seven people and from there they'll put three names to the governor I don't know any of the interworkings, unfortunately. Sure. Darn yeah. it. Um, <laughs> but that's where it is now. And I think yeah. that the process will be done by Wednesday. And I think by statute, they ha- he has to have it by the 21st. And oh, then wow. he'll select yeah. from there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, th- I mean, it is kind of, you know, it's it's really hard. It's hard for me. I've worked with, with Representative Erfolding for a long time. We worked together at Boise State together. Um, we've owned a business together. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, we we do leadership development and communication. Um, he hasn't done as much of that being a father and a minority right. leader. <laughs> I've done more right. of that. But, um, yeah, I'll miss him terribly. He's a good friend, and I think he's one of the best strategists that I've met. Um, yeah. I think he has an uncanny ability to uh, work with the other side, like make them laugh, but also embarrass them publicly. (laughs) But, you know, they don't know he's doing it. Um, Yeah, it's a magic trick. (laughs) Yeah, I think the caucus is in good hands. I mean, Alana is probably the smartest person I know, right? And, I mean, she's highly respected and just everyone follows her. I think that's going to go great. But I I do think that uh, Matt is going to be missed. And he did a lot Mm -hmm. for this state more than more than most people know mm-hmm. um and i'm sure it was a hard decision for him now then right. my new seatmate i'll welcome and mentor and bring into the fold and um district 19 is a, a very special community to me i live there i love everyone and um, i've just been blessed to work with matt and sheree and we've worked as a team as a real cohesive team in the past and mostly because we want to um reduce costs in our own campaign so we can help others outside right. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I it's a bittersweet thing i'm looking forward to meeting my new seatmate but i will miss matt a lot yeah as will i i yeah. worked really closely consider him a very dear friend um he was you know definitely uh tied sanity for the last six years for me <laughs> sure. yeah. i mean just i would consult with him on everything and um he was fantastic uh, we were really really lucky to have him in there i would i wish he were still there but i'm sure we'll get a wonderful person from district 19 yep. um but uh, he's a really talented amazing guy and i hope he gets back in the political arena someday yes i think i think we probably all join in on, on that on those sentiments yeah so, definitely yeah. yeah well 
I think uh, this was a good episode. Yeah. Thank Don't you, you guys so much for coming uh, in. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> best of luck. <laughs> Best yeah. of luck this year. <laughs> Break a leg. I don't yeah. know when we'll have a time to all be together like yeah. this again um, for a while. So. Sign die can't come soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> I worry. Well, I know. I worry a lot. There's a great potential for some frightening things to happen. Yeah. This I know, we're ready. But so I think uh, I think we've got the the team to put them to task. So yeah. good. I'm ready to yeah, you guys get back good. into rapid response. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. I mean, I can, but yeah. it's a yeah. team effort for it sure. It really is. There'll be yeah. lots of material to work with. Yeah. On that note. Well, thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you too. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right. That's all we have today for this episode of ID pod with representatives, Melissa Wintro and Alana Rubel. I'm Lindsay. I'm Jesse. And we will catch you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.